Welcome to Season 3 of The Blunderbuss, Australia's best bus on which to talk about leadership failure. My name is Edward Vaughan. Join me as I travel far and wide on my special bus, The Blunderbuss, and have honest conversations with great leaders about some of their greatest leadership disasters. On The Blunderbuss, we think it's possible to learn much more from your moments of failure than your moments of success, if you know the magic secret. And we also know that failure can be fun, especially other people's. Today's episode is sponsored by City to City and their Revitalise Australia project. It's an ambitious attempt to see health and life breathe back into thousands of churches all around this country that are not reaching their gospel potential. Go to citytocityaustralia.org.au and click on the Revitalise Australia tab to find out more. So today, the blunderbuss has travelled all the way to the inner western suburbs of Sydney, and I am speaking to Yvette McDonald, owner and director of LXN Consulting and developer of the Christian Leadership Framework. Hey, Yvette. Hello, Ed. It is so great to be with you on the bus today. Yeah. Hey, this is a bit nerve-wracking, but also great. Okay. Well, um, this is a it's a bit of a special time on the blunderbuss because by the time this goes to air, uh, we will have uh, reached 4,000 downloads of the blunderbuss. Wow. Yeah. I'll, so, I'll send a copy to my mum. So 4,001. <laughs> Hello to Yvette's mum. And that, what that means is that the blunderbuss has become the world's most popular podcast of leadership failure recorded on a bus in the Southern Hemisphere. Well, kudos to you, Ed. Well done. Awesome. That's right. <laughs> hey, Yvette, uh, you, you are a leadership guru, a consultant, someone who guides other people and, and helps other people in leadership. But have you ever made a leadership mistake yourself? Yes, sadly, quite a few. Um, some of which I'm happy to share, others more reluctant to share. Uh, but yes, um, others we just we draw a discreet every veil day. across. <laughs> okay, well, um, what would you like to talk about? Yeah, well, maybe if I can share a story with you from when I was working in the corporate space. Most of my career has been in the corporate space, and. Um, I'd love to share with you a time when I was working on the executive team of uh, the Australian multi, the Australian group of the multinational business I was working for, and we had a lot of change going on, uh, directed by the global head office, which was based in Europe. And I was really on board with some of those changes, and uh, they were going to be great for me personally, and they were going to be good for my team as well. Um, However, it's not just a great idea that I learned. Uh, it, it's really about how you not only execute that, but how you read the context that you're in. So essentially what happened with these global changes that were going uh, on in the pipeline, um, they had been announced that we had to implement them in our contexts. Um, and so I got about putting together my plan to implement them I'd been talking with my boss who was based in Asia Pacific um, about implementing them and I was all really ready to go. I I could see the benefits immediately and so I was guns blazing ready to implement these, uh, as you do. Um, And so the global head office wanted an update on on how this was going. And so I thought, okay, I'll um, put my update together I know my boss is busy this week. He was um, chatting to, had one of the 
European bigwigs in the Asian markets and he was flying around different countries in Asia that week. So I thought, I know he's busy. I'm not going to be able to catch him. I'll just send my update to head office because um, it's important to be diligent. I needed to meet the deadline yes. and I wanted to be little miss diligent. <laughs> and this is when I learned um, that sometimes it's better to miss a deadline uh, then misread the politics of a situation. Ah. And so after I press sent on, on my update to head office, um, I realised that there was more politics going on about these changes globally than I'd realised. And the crazy thing is um, this wasn't the kind of organisation that cared much about deadlines anyway. That was more me kind <laughs> yeah, of caring right. about meeting a deadline and doing the right thing and being teacher's pet or whatever. Um, and so I discovered there was a lot of global anxiety about these changes, um, that the new directions being implemented impacted different egos in head office because there was kind of reporting lines globally that which um, were being impacted. And I'd bumped into some old wounds and wars between my wow. boss and other senior stakeholders um, and that, you know, my update had then inflamed the wounds between my boss and this other senior stakeholder as well. And so what I should have done actually was collaborate with my Asia-based boss, who was extremely supportive and very politically savvy um, and could have included my changes as part of the Asia um, strategy and let him deal with some of the tricky ego issues that were going on um, and, yeah, really kind of, I guess, be in the cover of what some of the of the Asia-based changes and, and let him run interference on some of those challenging things. So, Yvette, so were, you kind of, yeah. were you kind of oblivious to all of this? You know, I think my assumption was that this is just a sensible thing to do. Right. This is, this is and, a good idea. Sensible all, ideas. Surely that right. trump, triumphs ego. <laughs> all right thinking, you know, good-hearted people will immediately fall into line. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And yet not. So, are we talking yeah, about so the pretty naive, really? <laughs> the are we talking about the political realm here? Is that is that kind yeah. of what we're on about? Yeah, yeah. So, I I failed to read some of the the politics that was kind of going on, um, and some of the shadow stakeholders um, that were that really had a stake in the changes that were being implemented. Hey, that's even a, that's, though they that's a great phrase. The shadow stakeholders. What's a, yeah. what's, a, what's a shadow stakeholder? Well, I think sometimes when you look at implementing change, you know, the best advice is that you map out all your stakeholders and you try to engage them. But I think a, a shadow stakeholder are people who actually do have a stake in the changes, but they may not be obvious to you initially, but they lurk in the distance. They lurk there in the shadows and you often find them in the middle of your change uh, because they'll bump up and, and they'll either cause a handbrake for your change or drama or their anxiety about the change will start um, playing in the system that you're trying to change. How, how do you know who the shadow stakeholders are? Because by definition, they're lurking in the yeah. shadows, right? Yeah, yeah. I, and I think part of uh, when you're consulting, you you find out who else should I be talking to about this or who else is impacted by these changes. Yeah. So in my planning for the change, instead of just, you know, bowling on in and not engaging my um, Asia-based boss, if I'd talked to him about these changes and about how we were going to position them 
in the global context. All of that stuff would have come up. Mm. So um, if you had your time over again, what would you have done differently? Yeah, so the same change. I still would have ordered the same change. Um, I would have missed the deadline Yeah, and I would have felt a bit awkward about that and I would have not liked doing that because that goes against one of my own principles of being diligent and all that sort of stuff and doing what I say I'm going to do by the time I'm meant Mm -hmm. to do it. Tried to work out how to either engage my boss whilst he was flying around Asia that week or and talk to him about how do I make sure um, that that these things are being positioned well with with uh, the European stakeholders. And, and the challenge often with um, Australia in global organisations is that we're far away and people usually don't care about us until right. something puts us on their radar. So it's always terrible to be put on the radar for what reasons. <laughs> Yeah, right. Because people just, we're small usually in comparison to European markets. We're far away. We're in an awkward time zone. You know, no one really cares about what we do until they care about what you're doing. Yeah, right. Hey, well, let me ask you this too. Like, that's a great um, example of a blunder in, as you say, from your corporate life, right? Um, But you're a a Christian and I know many of your clients uh, are Christian organisations or whatever. And, like, you know, surely within Christian organisations, like, there's not things like politics and, like, you know, shadow stakeholders mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Surely, you know, Christians don't do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so have you tried implementing change in a Christian organisation, Edge? <laughs> See, what, what's funny is that I think we make it a taboo topic that we can't actually, but, but I think we have to um, call politics for what it is. Sometimes there are interests... Sometimes there are egos um, and we might dress them up and call them different things. We might call them theological differences. We might call them personality differences, but they're sometimes not those things. So does so, this mean yeah. that you are a more politically savvy kind of person in stuff that you do now than you once were? Oh, look, I, th- I still misread things. We all do. Uh, right. I still, yeah, I still misread uh, things, but I do try to spend time now asking people what's what what's the politics of what's going on here? What are the interests of people? What do they care about? What do they not care about? Um, particularly when I'm working in unfamiliar uh, contexts, like different industries or with different right. groups, um, each groups have their own things that that, that are their taboos and and their um, things that they love and their own idols, really. Yeah. And so, being a, I just. I slow myself down to ask curious questions, but I still don't get it right all the time. No, and it's interesting as as part of what you said went went wrong. You kind of instanced, you know, things that had happened in the past. I take it before you were around or anything like that. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that I'm sure you had no idea about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was my naivety that thought surely a sensible idea will just triumph <laughs> over, um, you know. Egos, or yeah, that would be a great study yeah, or whatever to go back through. I don't know Australian politics or any organisation. I think let's think of all the really great ideas that deserve to have happened that are now on the scrap heap yeah. of history because they weren't executed well in this regard. Yeah, anything else that you'd say that you've learned out of this? To slow down. So my uh, my instinct is to I'm really action oriented. I really you know, want to start running. Um, and so when I'm doing client work, I now try to slow down myself and the client to say, so who who are the state, who's 
who's going to be impacted by this? Who are the stakeholders? Who else is there? And so that we start mapping that stuff out really, really early, um, even before we get into thinking about a solution. Right. So start thinking about um, even if people are supportive, how we can work with them to help champion the change that we're wanting to implement. Can you change? You can go too quickly. Can you go too slowly? Yeah. Although my bias has always been to go too quick. So yeah. I'm now, you know, in my more mature years, realising that sometimes going slow can be good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And what have you learned about failure? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I remember early, uh, and I learned this in a, in a corporate setting actually, that one of the, the women I was listening to, she was talking about her own corporate career and she was working in a really aggressive um, environment and um, she said the first thing they teach you in martial arts is how to fall. And I thought that was really, really interesting so that you can have a way of being able to fall safely so that you can then get up and keep fighting in martial arts. And I I think that's a similar thing for leadership. You've got to learn early in your leadership journey about how to fail because you're going to do it lots and lots and lots Um, and so being able to have a a mechanism that you can um, be able to laugh at yourself uh, if you need to repent to be able to repent um, to be able to internalize and um, reflect on what you did and what you do differently so I think um, with failure part of being a leader is knowing how to get up again after you've failed Um, So I think it's really, really important. That's why the blunderbuss is so popular. City to City estimate that there are perhaps 3,000 Bible-based gospel-centred churches in Australia that are plateauing or declining. Just think of the potential impact if those churches could rediscover their mission and purpose to reach out to their communities with the love of Jesus. It's a massive exercise in leadership renewal. If you or your church would like to be part of that, head to citytocityaustralia.org.au and find the Revitalise Australia tab to find out more. If you've enjoyed listening to The Blunderbuss, please subscribe, rate and review. It helps other people find the podcast and also meets my personal needs for approval and affirmation. Hang on, I think that was a blunder right there. We love you, Ed. We love you. (laughs) Okay, we'll see you next time on The Blunderbuss.